So if I'm doing books about Islam, juvenile books, you find out how long they are in their, what we would call church services. What I'm trying to tell you is they're learning their doctrine. But how much are we really in a Christian church? How much of our children learning when we give them a page to color while they're eating their cookies and their potato chips and losing their crayons and finding a crayon and dropping their Kool-Aid and cleaning that up and we're reading a little story. How much doctrine are they really being taught? Welcome to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me is my husband, filmmaker and author, Mark Archer. Hey. (laughs) Joining me today. So this is a show sharing the church, Big C Church at Work. We are a husband and wife filmmaking team creating films from a biblical perspective on issues impacting our culture. We are on a mission to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved in their local communities. Because if we're not impacting the culture for Christ, the culture is impacting us. And today we're picking up where we left off with Debbie DeGroff, longtime children's book reader and researcher, who is a part of the cast of our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. If you've missed any of these show segments, be sure to visit our website, fearlessfeatures.org, where you can search the archives and make sure you're well informed to the dangers our children are facing in their classrooms. It's also a great place to make that one-time or monthly donation. We rely on listeners like you to make this show possible and share with people from all walks of life the truth. Knowledge is power, and you become a force multiplier for truth when you partner with us through our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. Now... If there's ever been an episode to explain the depths of the continual attacks on our children's minds, this is it. Debbie shares with us her experience and the cultural shifts she's seen in books targeting our children. Mark. Speaking of cultural shifts. Yes. (laughs) You know, I always have cringeworthy articles to share. (laughs) Do share. Because these things are really happening. This is really happening. Uh, so this is actually from Infowars, which uh, is an interesting site. But they pulled this from another website called City Journal. And the article is called, When the State Comes for Your Kids. I'll just read an excerpt here. Ahmed is a Pakistani immigrant, a faithful Muslim, and until recently a financial consultant to Seattle's high-tech sector. All right. Mm -hmm. We're in Seattle, Washington. Okay. But when he reached me by phone in October 2020, he was just one more frightened father. Days earlier, he and his wife had checked their 16-year-old son into Seattle Children's Hospital for credible threats of suicide. All right. So they've got a 16-year-old son who's severely depressed, obviously, having problems, feeling suicidal. This is not something to be trifled with. Now, Ahmed was worried that the white coats who had gently admitted his son to their care would refuse to return him. Quote, they sent an email to us, you know, you should take your daughter to the gender clinic. Remember, he checked in a son. Right. At first, Ahmed, and I have changed names in this essay to protect the identities of minor children. Assumed there had been a mistake. He had dropped off a son to the hospital in a terrible state of distress. 
Now the email he received from the mental health experts used a new name for that son and claimed he was Ahmed's daughter. Quote, they were trying to create a customer for their gender clinic, and they seemed to absolutely want to push us in that direction. We had calls with counselors and therapists in the establishment telling us how important it is for him to change his gender, because that's the only way he's going to be better out of this suicidal, depressive state. Put a link to this in the show notes. You can read the rest of it. It's very interesting, but it reminded me of something that we alluded to on a couple podcasts ago of another children's hospital that we made a discovery about Uh, right here in Indiana, Mm -hmm. Riley Children's Hospital. That the, we've we've had experience at Riley. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- but they now have their new gender clinic. Gender clinic. Yes. So I don't know. Like it's all just beyond me. Today I, f- I feel a little fired up, and I'm kind of keeping myself reserved as I sit here. Well, here's the interesting thing. Let me just add this: when you read on, you discover that in the state of Washington, the age of consent without parental consent is 13. His son's age was 16. So mm-hmm. basically what they had to do was to play along like, yes, they agreed so that they could get their son out of this hospital. See, and we've talked about age of consent. They are teaching children, especially uh, while while we've been doing this research on this film, this new documentary film, the, the Mind Polluters, and it's all about the sexualization of our children through the education system. And it's become so much more, but it's getting increasingly younger and younger, especially mm-hmm. when they're trying to teach this sex education. They're also teaching consent. Right. And so what happened with this was they they were increasingly concerned that they wouldn't be able to get their son out of this hospital. Mm-hmm. And so they said, "Oh, yeah, you, oh, okay, we'll 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 go along with this so that they could get their son out." And then they fled the state. Right, they left the state. Because this hospital had the power to call CPS on them Are you kidding me? and seize their son. And force their son into their gender, abduct their son and take him in for mutilation surgery. I know, I just, I can't. So. (laughs) So, I know you're always full of good news. I love to spread the joy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just, it just reminds me, like I was sitting here and, you know, I don't think I can run to my Bible quick enough every time we sit down and do research Mm -hmm. and have to read this stuff. But one of the things that before I even sat down, I knew there was a verse that popped in my mind and it was first Peter five, eight, and it was be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Mm -hmm. And if ever we have things to talk about, Debbie's going to share. And Oh my goodness. Listen, just, just listen to this woman who has read, book after book after book of what our children are being handed. Hmm. I can't imagine how many books she's read, but it's it's thousands <sighs> that she's read through her decades of research. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't gone uh, to her website, what's insidechildrensbooks.com, there's a link in the show notes, and looked at her book, you definitely should pick it up. It is worth having on your shelf. Yep. It's full of 
all kinds of great research and information. She's right up there with Judith Reisman. I mean, mm-hmm. with the, the, the depth of research that she's put mm-hmm. into these things. Very important. Knowledge is power. Yeah. I mean, if, if people know the truth, you just have to share the truth. Mm-hmm. All right. Without further ado, let's get into Debbie's part three. When you're talking about preschool books or juvenile books, you're not talking about books that have blatant sexuality or profanity. Now, in saying that, in some of your later middle grade books, you, I am seeing a little more of that, but by definition, it wasn't supposed to be there. Okay, by the time you get into young adult, everything is open game. I was just thinking the other day that years ago I had read a book, I don't remember the name of it, but he was talking about all kinds of things in our culture and society that were going on. And this was everything. I mean, you're talking the whole LGBT gamut, you're talking everything that you hopefully you can't even think of. Okay. But one thing he talked about was these people that they go and somehow it sexualizes them hanging from meat hooks and all this kind of stuff. And the reason I bring that up is because I've always been fascinated. That was the only thing mentioned in his whole book that I have never seen in children's books. For example, years ago, there was a, it might've been a documentary. I think it was called The Gift. And it was about homosexuals who were trying to get HIV, okay? And they called it The Gift. And it's also called Bug Chasing. So without going into depth on what that is, yes, I I have at least, at least two books, kids' books that are fiction, you know, that address that quite well. Um, you know, so when you're talking about the younger books, you're talking more blatant indoctrination. Um, the sexualization, of course, you had heterosexual sex first, and then it merged in the homosexual sex then the bisexuality, then the transgenderism and, you know, and all those things. But those don't seem to be the main impetus today. Okay, because those are all just a given anymore in this society. So it is more the very, very strong indoctrination. And one of the things that I I have been kind of seeing lately, there are a lot of things Uh, For example, I just finished an article on conversion therapy. Okay, these are books that dealt with that subject. And they always lead the kids to the point that if I try to change your point of view, say you come to me and you're a kleptomaniac, whatever it is. Okay, whatever it is. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to explain to you that this is wrong. And if I do it biblically, you know, thou shall not steal. Well, if all of a sudden... I get you to realize that that is sinful behavior and you stop doing that, then it's kind of looked at as if, well, I'm converting you from who you are. 
okay, like this is some kind of a, a, a bad thing and that I did this instead of you recognizing basically not only is this bad behavior, it's sin, okay? However, I've read so many and one I can think of in particular that there was a Christian girl and her friend was not a Christian and she wanted to have an abortion. And of course, this friend was against it, but she agreed to go with her, okay, to support her. And it shows all these things that they went through on this journey. And at some point in the book, then the so-called Christian girl, she starts effing this and effing that and the other thing. And so it's like a victory. See, so you converted her from not doing those things. And so that's a good thing in kids' books. But if I convert you from doing something that is sinful behavior, then, you know, not so good. You know, I'm a really, really bad person. And it's an obvious thing that I'm seeing in children's books now. It's a scary, scary thing that we think that we cannot minister to somebody. We cannot witness to somebody because we're doing something bad in changing you. But these people's whole goal is to change the innocent to the not innocent anymore. How much of it is always sexual? doesn't have to be anymore. It's more the indoctrination and the message. I mean, we're, sh we're shifting this whole culture in every different direction. It's anti-capitalist. It's anti-America. It's anti-everything that this country was ever founded upon. So it does not have to be sexual. Why do you keep doing this? Glutton for punishment. <laughs> you know, real? I I have to tell you, the longer that I do this, the harder it is to even pick up a book. And what I try, I mean, there's books that you look at, you know, and you, you read the reviews or the assessments, and I might mention those in an article or something. But if I'm sitting there and I'm speaking about a book, I've read the book, okay? Um, you have to because you don't know what's going to transpire. Uh, you know, at the end, is there going to be some kind of reconciliation that the children learned this lesson or not? But one thing I want to say to parents is if there is something that is so graphic, so vile, and at the very end of the book, it says, that was a bad idea your child is still never going to get the image out of their head of what they read in that book. So you have to ask yourself, sometimes some of these books, there's one author, and I think the books are pretty vile myself, but she brings up, she brings up issues that we probably ought to talk about. We should not be afraid of addressing an issue. And how she does it, I don't like it. Is it necessary? I don't think so. You don't have to reel a child in with this type of material. Where does the church fail in this? Mm -hmm. Well, um, okay, getting to the church. I think that the church has lost sight of the fact 
that there are many who either are completely illiterate, functionally illiterate, or just poor readers. And reading is painful for a lot of people. That includes their Bible. And since the 60s and moving into the 70s, our children have learned in schools that everything is based on emotion, that emotion supersedes facts. And so it trickles down to the church also because when a congregant has great respect for the pastor, that pastor, whatever he says, they tend to believe, whether it is gospel and lines up with scripture or whether it doesn't. And see, the Bereans were commended for searching the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was so. Okay, but we don't do that anymore. And we, the churches will not address the children's books. I've tried to do it. I used to, 30 years ago, I could, I could speak at a church every day of the week if I wanted to. And now they don't want to because content has to come into it. And a lot of them do not want that addressed in a church. So it's okay if your child is sitting there in the pew and they're reading that book, but we are not going to address it. Okay. And that is, that is a real, real problem. The other part is even Christian parents think how busy parents are. You know, a lot of moms work outside of the home too, you know, and they do not or they think they do not have the time to read these books. So I like to teach parents, especially new mommies or pregnant for the first time, how they can do this, how they can build up a library. You know, obviously you're not sitting there reading 24 seven on these books. They don't take that long. They're very, very low reading levels, okay? So, but that's, that's one of the reasons. It's an issue that has to be talked about in churches because it affects the literacy. If you cannot read well, there is no way you can tell whether somebody is telling you the truth or the lie as far as scripture. That's, that's a biggie. And also you're not going to be aware of what your children are getting and how it all fits together. See, even the controlled vocabulary, when we go back to that with the sight reading, you have to realize it was not just your readers that were changed. When you dumb down the reading level to a controlled vocabulary, your math books, your science books, your history books, the whole gamut, they had to be changed also. There is a difference, okay? There are books that are just sinful and they're bad. Mm -hmm. There are also kids' books that are purely demonic. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, it is not easy reading these books. I feel like if the Lord had not led me into this, I could not do this, you know, because they are too persuasive. You sit there, you know, the Bible says to take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. So, you know, it's just like me keeping liquor in front of you all the time. How long is it going to take? Okay. But one book that I read was about a transgender. Okay. Number one, there's no way in the world that a child and most adults could read that book and not come away with, yes, this is, this has to be. There are some kids that are just like this. And if we don't help them, they're going to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Back this is that emotion. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, but this one was a demonic one. Okay, this is one that was different. And there are a lot of them like that. And um, a child can't survive it. They just can't. And they're not even as grounded in scripture as, and I'm not even going to say most adults, some adults mm -hmm. who know better yes. and can discern. I mean, how do parents expect these kids to understand when they themselves are not even trained well? That's why it's our job as parents to train them up in the way they should go. I've asked this for a lot of years because in children's books and dealing with so many different subjects, I learn about things that I wouldn't normally know about. So if I'm doing books about Islam, juvenile books, you find out how long they are in their, what we would call church services. Okay, it's not the little quick thing like we have. In the, the mosque, these kids are actually learning how to write in Arabic. Okay, and they're learning this and that and the other thing. Okay, what I'm trying to tell you is they're learning their doctrine. Mm -hmm. If you would talk about Mormons, those children learn their doctrine mm -hmm. or Jehovah Witnesses or Scientologists or whoever you want to bring into this. Mm -hmm. But how much are we really in a Christian church? How much of our children learning when we give them a page to color while they're eating their cookies and their potato chips and losing their crayons and finding a crayon and dropping their Kool-Aid and cleaning that up and we're reading a little story. Okay, and we can say we took our children to church every single service. How much doctrine are they really being taught? Isn't it interesting, her discussion there on Sunday school, and this goes right along with what Ken Ham talked about when we interviewed him. And the and the podcast we did before about the book he had written, Already Gone. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when she... <laughs> there's been several times during the interviews for this film where we're both holding it in, wanting to erupt in applause, Right. One was definitely, uh, I mean, almost all of them, but, you know, with, with Ken, yeah. when he started talking about how churches, uh, when when their uh, attendance starts to flag, they pump up the entertainment factor, right. right? And we went, hallelujah, we have seen this happen, and we have been barking about this for years, and people don't want to hear it. Thank you for saying it. And here Debbie's talking about... Sunday school, which is which is really the point. Yeah, and we talk. If if you've listened to our stories, and 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 as we were listening back to this, prepping for this show, and I was reminded of how when I was growing up, that is pretty much the kind of Sunday school that I grew up with. And what was and and because I didn't grow up in the church, and my first question. Because this is not the first person we have heard doing this research mm -hmm. talk about. I'm not trying to throw the church, the 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 corporate church under the bus here, but something is obviously wrong. And the first thing I said is, when did this start? When did the model of send your kids away to go have snack time, story time and coloring? Mm -hmm. When did that become a thing? I don't know. I don't know. But it's it, it reminds me, 
it reminds me of what we're seeing right now with, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the comparison of recruiting ads, from <laughs> yes. what, what the U S army mm-hmm. is putting out now with a cartoon about two lesbians getting married. Yeah. Right. And, and their how daughter... proud their little daughter is. And Oh, by the way, I'm in charge of this missile defense system. Right. Versus the Russian recruiting ad, which looks like the G. U.S. Joe. Marines, right? Like <laughs> these guys are are ready to kill. And I just think we are so screwed. <laughs> but anyway, not to get off on too much of a rabbit trail. We need your help uh, to finish making this film. We are um, at, we're at the end of stage one of production. We've finished the main interviews. We're moving into stage two of production where we're doing our in-studio material and basically f- uh, finishing filming, and we're already in post-production. That's where we're editing. We're trying to have this film done, completed, and released by fall, October, maybe November, and um, we need your help. So we're looking for 5,000 people who can give $25. And if you can do that and be part of what we're doing, we need your help. Mm-hmm. And there are three easy ways to give. You can do that online at fearlessfeatures.org forward slash give. You can also text to give, text the word classrooms to 27777. Again, that's classrooms with an S, 27777. Or you can mail your support to Fearless Features, P.O. Box 85061, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 46885. We have a goal in mind, and we can't hit our goal without you. So thank you for joining us. But you want to make sure to tune in again on Thursday for part four with Debbie DeGroff. Here's a little snippet. So while it would be important to turn that around legally, those states that do have obscenity exemptions, we already have about seven that don't. And they're doing exactly the same things. So my question has always been, why are we not addressing these issues in those states? Oh, the obscenity exemptions. This isn't the first time we've talked about this. And I am excited to bring Debbie's perspective. Thank you guys for sticking around to the end. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to share this show with as many of your friends and family as possible so we can get the word out and make sure that everyone knows what our children are being exposed to. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We will talk to you again on Thursday. 